Welcome to Delayed Echoes Podcast. I am your host, Sheree Lyon. On this podcast, we interview people from different perspectives on neurodiversity. It is my belief that embracing neurodiversity can perhaps point us in the direction of finding the very tools and solutions we need in these modern times. Thank you for tuning in. Hello, beautiful people. I hope you have been finding some really unique ways to keep yourself elevated, in a positive mood, practicing joy. And if that hasn't been easy, I get that as well. Totally understand. Last week, I had a couple of days that were a bit challenging. But I picked myself up. And really, you know, I find that as someone who um, experiences anxiety and depression, you start to learn many different tools. And I'm really grateful for the therapists and the healers that I have been honored to learn from. And also to my own inner guidance and my ancestors and my guides um, for teaching me <laughs> about how we can or how I can shift my inner space purely by shifting my thoughts. I actually want to invite us to take a moment and to take a few deep breaths together. continuing to not control our breath but just allow the air the air that we all have access to simply because we are alive and in this moment I want to invite you to think about some aspect of nature. It could be a place, it could be a animal or a plant, maybe a body of water or a forest. And I want you to take a moment to just bring that natural element into your awareness. Still staying connected to your breath. And start to pay attention to how you're feeling in relationship to this natural element. Do you notice any subtle shifts from how you're feeling before to now where you're paying attention to your breath? 
whatever subtle differences are a sign that you as an individual can shape, select, choose different states to be in. If you want to continue to be in that environment or be by that element throughout this podcast, I invite you to. <laughs> um, but we're going to drop that. Now I'm going to move on to share with you this episode. I want to say thank you for the patience. Um, something that I am working on is the, um, the importance of consistency um, and that is, you know, really interconnected with many different dynamics, um, you know, specifically around trusting that what um, I'm doing is making an impact um, or that, you know, um, going over some of the humps of learning, you know, podcast editing. Um, and I'm also so grateful um, for the team that allows for um, all of this work to happen. Um, I'm working with Daniela Navas, who has been doing the amazing graphic design for all of the content that you see that is associated with Delayed Echoes. And we also um, have a new member to the team, and she is also the one who is on this podcast episode. So Holly Dela Cruz Bobbitt is a young mother advocate and parent of this beautiful, self-knowing child named Lisa, who was diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. Um, I don't even like the word disorder, but we will, of course, continue to get into that. And this episode is her, um, is of Holly talking about her experience, um, you know, with going through the journey of getting a diagnosis for her daughter, coming to grips with her own emotions and having to really take responsibility for that so that she could be, you know, as present as she is with her child. Um, it is such a remarkable, um, you know, thing to be able to talk to people with different, um, you know, sides of this issue. Um, and I don't even like the term issue, but you know, <laughs> um, you know, semantics is such the, the words that we choose, you know, it really, really matters. Um, and even going back to the beginning of this episode, when I'm talking about our capacity to, you know, change our states, a huge, um, a huge element of what contributes to that is the words that we choose to use. So I am a person who really sometimes feels that I'm over editing myself when I'm thinking about what words I'm selecting to talk about particular topics. Um, and that's the, what I was looking for is topic, the topic of neurodiversity. Um, and in, as for new listeners who are coming into the podcast, welcome. Um, I am a person who identifies as being neurodiverse. My experience is looking at how neurodiversity, and that is including in my definition, um, alongside what other people have defined as not just, you know, autism spectrum disorder, but is also including, um, 
different cognitive functions, different ways that are not the typical way that people might function. My philosophy is that neurodiversity is not to be pathologized, um, but instead is to be, you know, curiously understood and support individuals and services that are, that are providing them services, um, to be able to really, um, hold the diversity and support individuals being able to come to know themselves and the people around them coming to know them them as well so that they can function at the level that is appropriate for themselves um so that's the philosophy that i take um and you know may this conversation be one that um is you know as i i ask everyone at all times to listen with an open heart, to listen with an open mind. And, you know, if self-reflection things come up, that's great. And sometimes when we're talking about particular topics, it can help us to look at, you know, ways that we might be showing up in our lives and questioning that. And that's a good thing. Um, That's a healthy thing. So I'm going to leave it there and enjoy. Oh, another thing um, one last thing before we get into the interview i would love to hear what you your thoughts are what your experiences are um so there is a way that if you're listening on anchor.fm you can make a voice note and send me a voice note so that i can hear your messages or another way you can get in contact is by emailing us at info at delayed echoes movie.ca that is Info, I-N-F-O, at Delayed Echoes Movie, which is D-E-L-A-Y-E-D-E-C-H-O-E-S-M-O-V-I-E dot C-A. Can you tell us... A little bit about yourself. All right. So I would say that at the moment, I'm a stay-at-home mom. I've decided to take some time off to really invest my time in Lisa because she's at such an age where she was taking in um, so many things and learning so quickly where I just, I wanted to be a part of it. I was jealous that her teachers were knowing all these things that she could do that I didn't even know because I was too busy at home. So now with quarantine and COVID going on, the one benefit we've had is that mother-daughter time and me being able to be a part of her education and her journey and just learning how to communicate with the world. And can you tell us, um, you know, prior to having Lisa, um, did you think much about neurodiversity and neurodivergence? Actually, no, I I can honestly say it didn't really cross my mind much. I had a best friend whose mother worked with children on the spectrum. So I did meet the student that she worked with a lot. Um, But other than that, I had absolutely no other experience personally with any type of neurodiversity. And I just there was just a lack of knowledge for me. So when my daughter um, started to see signs of autism and stuff, that was something that I didn't see at all. Whereas my boyfriend of 10 years, his family does have experience and he has a nephew with autism. So they very much saw the signs before I did. 
Um, so it definitely took some time and a lot of learning and understanding for me to come around and truly realize what a blessing it is. And that's what we're going to really talk about today. And um, that is something that you really stress in your experience through parenting your daughter um, is that you have been learning so much about yourself, um, about, you know, how society's standards um, are impacting little people, um, you know, and and you have a perspective that I feel, you know, our listeners are going to be really are really going to gain a gift of perspective. Um, and, you know, I, I, you know, what you, you're going, start, starting to go into a little bit about what um, some of the signs that your daughter started to have. First of all, before even talking about the signs, I want to know what's your daughter like? Okay. So it's, um, it's, it's a big thing to describe her. I would say that it started off, I thought that I just had this sweet little girly girl. Growing up, I was a very, very much a tomboy, like day to day being raised by my father and my brother. It was just me and a house full of boys all the time. So when I first had my daughter, I was all about like, I'm going to get you cars and transformers and like the quote unquote the the boy toys um but she she ended up asking or not asking just yet but when she was younger she all she wanted to wear was dresses she loved girly things she loved dolls like already at a young age she was like no mom you are not going to tell me what I'm into like very early on she was already the type to just make sure that I knew exactly what she wanted Um, So now growing up, she's seven now, and she's a sweetheart. But at the same time, she doesn't, she doesn't have time for just being polite. She's always very real. So when it comes to, you know, meeting people, if she's not in the mood, she's not going to fake it and be nice, you know, she'll let you know she's not in the mood. And when she is in the mood, she'll grab your hand and she'll hold your hand. She'll want to cuddle and everything. But then after a while, she'll be like, no, 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 thanks. No more. (laughs) And if some people, they try to um, get a, um, basically they try to become friends with her. Like I've had my friends meet her and really, really want to be close to her. And it's kind of like, she's a child playing hard to get. So they'll like sing her her favorite song and do stuff like that. And she'll look at them dead in the eye and she'll be like, that was great. And walk away. Like she she doesn't want to hear it anymore. But she definitely acknowledges it. She's like, thank you for that. But I'm going to go do what I want to do now. (laughs) Right. She's like, I'm following what my inner guidance is telling me to do. And right now it's telling me to move on. Exactly. exactly. You talk to you later. That's incredible. So what were some of the symptoms that you and your partner had started to see or or that prompted you to bring her into someone to, to see if that was her diagnosis? So what we noticed, it was pretty early on, even just in her, um, basically the doctor appointments afterwards, getting her shots and stuff. Again, I look like a 16 year old mother. So when the doctor was asking things like, um, oh, is she speaking yet? Is she using some sentences? Is she asking for things? And this is when she was about maybe three years old. And I was still saying like, no, she doesn't talk much. And so the doctor seemed kind of surprised, but because she was able to like physically 
um, go up and down stairs normally. She wasn't having any challenges physically. The doctor just assumed that like maybe I wasn't mothering right or maybe I wasn't um, teaching her how to communicate properly. So I just thought, again, it was my own parenting um, and she wasn't really learning how to communicate. But my boyfriend's family actually saw it fairly early on where they were like, oh, she's very similar to Emmanuel, who is the nephew that's also on the spectrum. And he didn't start talking until maybe about five. Um, So that's when we decided I, I was debating, like, should I just send her to kindergarten and see what happens? Should I see if, you know, maybe it is my parenting and maybe when she goes to school, it'll all just snap together and she'll start talking. And Right before that was when my boyfriend kind of sat me down and he was like, well, maybe we should just like go to a doctor and see. Um, And I'm sad that I my reaction to it was like crying, like I was devastated. I didn't want to admit it. And it was, again, just a lack of knowledge and a lack of experience with other people on the spectrum. So when we ended up going to the doctor, my boyfriend was very avid in saying things like, oh, she liked to um, organize her toys from shortest to tallest on all of our windowsills. She liked to have the TV at a very specific volume. She liked to watch the same movies over and over with like a very specific part that she loved. And she would memorize that line and she would repeat that line. But again, if we asked her like, oh, like, did you like your dinner? She wouldn't respond with a yes or a no. So it just seemed like, again, that she just didn't want to communicate. So with all those signs, we went to the doctor and right away, he was, he just said, my boyfriend, like, you definitely have experience with this. And yes, I believe she is on the spectrum. And so that was when we got her diagnosis before school, which I'm glad we did, because I've, I've basically had teachers where if you don't go and um, initiate that process yourself, sometimes it takes until a child is in grade three before a school will initiate that testing process of if your child's on the spectrum. So it's kind of like you have to independently go and get that diagnosis in order for your child to get the the, um, hands-on help that they need in school. That's such a journey. And going back to what you're sharing in terms of, you know, being a mother and having to come to, um, having to come to, a particular reality of accepting that possibly your child might be on the spectrum. Um, I'm sure a lot of mothers, you know, experience that. Um, Are you open to sharing, you know, based on what your misperception was on the spectrum that maybe caused that, um, that response? Yeah, absolutely. I would say it was definitely connected to like, I think that any mother or parent when they know they're expecting a child in their life, Um, you instantly have these expectations. This is where the expectations come into play that of what your child is going to be. Are they going to be like you? Are they going to be completely different? Are they going to be artistic? What type of um, adults are they going to grow into? What type of career are they going to go for? All these different things in your head of all these possibilities. So when people were constantly looking at me and telling me that my child was different or my child was behind, I instantly took that on my own, like, it is my fault. Is there something I could have done better during my pregnancy? Um, Thinking that there was a reason why, like, something maybe went wrong again, which is not the way it was at all. But 
I instantly thought like now my daughter is not going to live a normal life. Now she's not going to have friends. She's not going to have this type of relationships I had. She's not like there's just so many different things that I thought, okay, so now now all my expectations for her are gone because she can't do the same things that other kids will be doing basically. And um and yeah, so it was just all in that. It was all in not knowing what she would be capable of later on in life. It was the huge question mark of what type of um, adult she would turn into, you know? But it, in our, when we were talking before, you were sharing that there was, um, through the testing, you actually discovered a lot about Lisa that you didn't know before. Yes, yes. So it was basically like when they started testing her again, it was like if I asked her questions like, you know, did you have a good day today? And she didn't respond. I instantly just think it's an issue of communication and non-communication. But then once they started testing her, it was like she automatically knew like her ABCs. You can give her a random letter and she'll tell you exactly what comes after. Something I even struggle with. I always have to sing the whole ABC song in my head. Um, She knew counting one to 20. She was really, really good at drawing perfect circles. Like for her age, she actually, we lived in Toronto at the time. So in our apartment, one time I came home from work and she drew these perfect little potato head looking characters on our walls. And they were perfectly symmetrical. They had little arms and legs and nice hair. And she would put googly eyes and a nose in like the perfect spot proportionally. Like it was, it was ridiculous. And she was just very visually connected where it was like, she couldn't, she couldn't communicate exactly what she was thinking, but she definitely could create what she wanted to visually. Like if she wanted to create a certain scene with her toys, it would, it would always be perfect. And if one toy fell over right away, she'd run over there and fix it. She'd walk away like, all right, <laughs> that looks good. That is good. incredible. That is incredible. Yeah, very particular child which is unlike me a quality that she didn't get from me or her father and I, you know it's just really fascinating to hear that um because our culture is so um predicated on verbal communication you know yes. it's like it's the main form that you know on the day-to-day we're interacting with one another right it's very rare that we see um you know visual communication being a element of how we we communicate daily, but your daughter, you know, had a lot of advancements in that, you know, and, and, and that she knew so she knew more than what the doctors and, and I, I'm assuming even you as the family members, me, what, absolutely, absolutely. For parents who are in that kind of journey um, with their, their child, what advice would you give to them in relationship to understanding their child? I would think that automatically you just throw all the books out of the window because anyone even who is formally educated in neurodiversity would say that every child is completely different. You know what I mean? Like they're, they may be very good verbally, but not so good with recognizing people's emotions so they may seem very um distant or rude sometimes even meanwhile it's just they can't they can't read your face as easily as normally somebody would and so I feel like it's just all those expectations all of those things you just throw them out the window and you just pay attention to what 
they love to what they are interested in. And you use those to kind of um, basically kind of push them into learning the different things like that they need to, to communicate on the daily, but at the same time, always embrace the things that they love and find ways to just teach them about everything that they love. Like I will go back and I'll see that, you know, Lisa's into hairdressing. So guess what? I have to learn about hairdressing because (laughs) that way I can, we can have that common interest and I can help see the type of progress that she's making for herself. I have to know, you know, what type of progress she's making on her Barbie dolls. <laughs> oh yeah. Her Barbie dolls and herself. Uh, she's actually, okay. another thing is that she has gorgeous hair. Um, she is, I'm Filipino and Irish and her dad is Dominican and she has these nice curly hairs and everybody is so in love with it. And she does not want it. She wants it short. Everyone wants her hair long. And anytime she gets the chance, she's like, no, nah, I'm cutting this hair out of my eyes. Like she, <laughs> she doesn't give in to you know her she doesn't want the what's the word for it basically that like feminine beauty of long hair or whatever it may be it was just kind of like she didn't care she's like she just wants to shave it all off if she had a choice (laughs) so that's so fascinating it's like your daughter is you know on one hand she's shaping and and giving herself permission to connect with her expression you know like even if she is yes yes she is into you know more quote-unquote girly things that our society says it is right but she's like yeah I'm also chopping up my hair and that that's that that is all you know a part of the 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 beautiful expression and I think that um, exactly her individuality yeah and and I find that that is something that is so strong about um you know, people who are, you know, on the different range of neurodiversity is that it is the um, ability to express oneself authentically um, and with authenticity. And I know that we were having a conversation with, you know, how, you know, even when you were sharing earlier about your daughter saying, you know, I'm done, like, I am going to go over here. I'm yeah. just uh, going to put this toy down and I'm kind of sick of t- uh, spending some time with you right now. So yeah. I'm just going to kindly go to the side, you know, talk exactly. to you later. I need some me time. Actually, I need, yeah. yeah. Anytime I enter her room when she's like, you know, doing her Barbie hair salon, she'll, she'll tell me, she'll be like, goodbye, mommy. Goodbye. <laughs> I'll be like, oh, okay, fine. I'll just give her a space. <laughs> She tries to be nice about it and that's totally fine. She tells me what she wants. <laughs> right. It's like, okay, you were, we're, we're working through this. We're working through this. Yeah. Um, you know, what we were speaking a little bit about, you know, your um, perception on how she has helped you to take more power in your life. Yeah. Um, and, and I know that you had mentioned that in your own experience um, of just, you know, feeling, uh, you know, feeling levels of anxiety throughout your life um, and how your daughter has supported you um, in a way by proxy or observation um, of, you know, tuning into your own voice and your own ability to confront perhaps things that have been difficult to confront before yes absolutely like 
for instance, I'm, I'm someone who went about my life constantly trying to please people, trying to be polite, trying to, you know, go about my life, making sure I don't upset those around me, even if I may be uncomfortable. Like, it's just like putting on a smile and putting up this facade where it's just, you seem like the, you're always okay. And I find that with my daughter being so honest about like, well, you know, maybe I don't want to talk to you right now. It's nothing against you. It's just, I don't want to do it. That's, that's something she taught me is like creating boundaries to protect yourself on days that you may not be feeling like being social. Um, Even just in the sense of going to the grocery store, like she will, she won't be shy in the whole, like just getting what she wants or, you know, make like walking right up to the lineup. Whereas me, I'll stand there being like, oh, okay, is uh, anybody else in front of me? Is there, you know, making sure that I'm, I'm doing it right in society. Meanwhile, my daughter's like, this is where we're supposed to go. So I'm going to go this way, you know? And so she's very strong headed in that sense and very sure of herself, which is something I've never been. And so she teaches me every day just to be like, you know what I mean? Like, just just know yourself and learn what you want and be honest about that with those around you. And she's, she's taught me that almost every day. That is so special. And I think it's so special as a mother to recognize that, yes, you do play a role in guiding your daughter. You do play a role in parenting her. Um, but that you also have the humility to understand that you can also learn from your child, you know, like, I don't know about you, but like in terms of Caribbean culture, like that's something that is very difficult, you know, in terms of, yes, yes. like the child should be seen and not, and seen and not heard. Right. Unless spoken yes. to, did you, yes. were you raised in that kind of environment growing up? Um, definitely in Filipino culture, it's more like, you know, you respect your titas and titos, anybody who's older than you, you must respect and, and you don't second guess what they tell you. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's pretty much the same thing. And and I don't think it's hard for those children to kind of find their own voice because adults tend to not listen, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, growing up, what what were you like as a, as a kid? Oh, gosh. Um so going into like when I was a child, uh, before my mom passed away, I was pretty attention seeking, creative, high energy, but I was also, again, very polite, listen to the rules. It's just sometimes I had a big mouth, like I had to talk about the rules, but I would listen to them, I'd follow them. Um, and then going on after my mom passed away, I find that I was a little bit more um, of a troublemaker, definitely got more into being a tomboy, played a lot of sports, even though I wasn't good at them, you know, I just fit in a lot more with the boys, because I didn't have um, very many close female um, role models in a way like I did have some but there was never like a close mother figure in a sense where like, I didn't really know where I would get my mother. Um, my womanhood from like my feminine energy and learning those types of things. Like I didn't have um, someone in that role specifically to teach me about the little things. So I kind of like learned as I went along and I had some friends, mothers take me in, in a sense and teach me about different things. And so 
it was definitely, again, like I said before, like being raised by a village and being raised by so many different types of people and listening to their experiences and applying that for yourself. So yeah, I definitely just listened a lot. I sat back and I listened to people. Sometimes you talk back though. Sometimes you which is good because I think that you know the exercise for little people and for anybody to say you know what hey like I'm I need to know and understand why you're asking me to do something that doesn't feel 100% in alignment right yes absolutely absolutely and that happened a lot uh growing up with a single father as a young woman as well (laughs) the ultimate wingman let's just say I was the ultimate wingman whether or not it was my choice (laughs) okay okay (laughs) you have seen some very interesting things oh my goodness yeah yeah so as a child um you were young when your mother passed um how old how old were you and what was your mother's name? I was about eight or nine years old and my mother's name was Annalisa. I actually named my daughter after her. Uh, my mom passed away in 2003 and my daughter was born exactly 10 years later in 2013. So it just felt like the perfect fit. On the same um, day? On the um, same no, day. not on the same day, but she was, uh, my daughter was due on my birthday of that year. And obviously anytime it passed my mom's death anniversary or birthday anniversary like it was always very tough for me um so the fact that during the decade anniversary like the big 10 years since she's been gone where I had a very unexpected pregnancy that ended up being due on my birthday I couldn't help but think it was like a sign from my mother in some type of way there was some type of forces going on because she was due on my birthday July 11th and then she was actually born a month before when my water broke at my baby shower so it was like my mom was ensuring that all my family members were able to come to the hospital with us oh my goodness (laughs) the whole village was there with you oh yeah like there was like 20 people in the waiting room when they rolled me out and I was like yep there's a baby (laughs) that is amazing that's amazing that you're you know I that 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 happens right that our that parents um, that their energy that we can you can feel them um, you know supporting you as you're bringing your child into the world um, yeah absolutely and like even though I was so young when my mother passed away there was always these weird coincidences throughout my life where I was constantly thinking like yeah like you're you're there in a sense like your energy is somehow looking over me you know mm-hmm mm-hmm and that's absolutely like so, um, you know, a lot of a lot of traditions, a lot of cultures. They talk about that, right? They talk about, you know, when um, when someone goes on to the other side, like they they do become, you know, a guardian spirit for the family and guardian spirit for the children, and that even sometimes parts of their their spirit can come back. Right. Yes. And, and I do believe that with Lisa. Absolutely. With my daughter. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Jeez. Um, yeah. I, I, the, the, the layers, you know, it, it just feels like there's a lot of layers that kind of 
co coalesce with one another in terms of your journey. Um, Cause so much is coming up. It's like, it's, it's coming into like, how do you shape your mother, your mother, your self mothering? How do you shape your femininity? How do you shape your identity? Exactly. Um, and, and then bringing a new young child into the world and you're young, you're 19 years old, right? When, when you had your daughter, um, seven yes, years yes, ago. I was. Um, and weird, yeah. Did you want to say anything about that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was going to say that, like, it's true that there's, there's so many layers and it's so hard to like, see like what led to this and what led to this like for me it just seems like one huge cycle of like everything's a huge coincidence like whether it be having Lisa exactly 10 years after my mom um, passed away or just the fact of being like like me I personally feel um, we didn't go over it this now but in our past conversation um, with my mother's struggle with depression and bipolar I think that I was always scared that maybe it might come up in my life or something like that and and the time where I was getting got pregnant with Lisa was a time of you know after high school I'm working at my first job what am I going to pick for college and I was just very lost into what path I was going to take and I was angry thinking like why can't my mom be around to help guide me in this and and that's when I ended up getting pregnant with my daughter. And when she was born, automatically you have purpose. You're living for this other life. You're giving everything you can for this other person. And then there's the fact that it's like I was kind of lost because I had no mother to teach me how to be a mother. Um, so it was very, it was very, very hard at first, just with the whole learning before um any type of flags that you can see for being on the spectrum. It was just simple, you know, changing the diaper, bathing, like those types of things were a challenge um, to do by myself and with my partner. And so I feel like once she got diagnosed, it made even more sense to have a daughter that was strong headed, like my mother, very, even the way she interacts with um, animals, like my daughter loves animals, which my mom did as well. But doesn't really like cuddling with them, doesn't want, you know, to kiss them all the time. And that's exactly the way my daughter is. She's, you know, she likes to keep a distance. And so I see so many similarities in them that I just, I can't help but laugh about it. I can't help but laugh and think that like, if I didn't go through a tragedy as a child, I wouldn't have this beautiful child today. I wouldn't have this beautiful life today. You know what I mean? So as many layers as there are, in the challenges I went through in my life, that's always what I have to think about is like, the future wouldn't be what it is without these tragedies, these lessons and journeys from my past. Mm -hmm. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> you know, like going, having to go through the darkness to get to the light, right? Mm -hmm. Or even to recognize that the light is light you know a lot of people don't realize that they have it good until something bad happens and then you can appreciate the sunny days right um you know the, for this podcast neurodiversity neurodivergence i've been including the experiences of people who have depression or bipolar or, or other diagnoses as well and um 
you know, the heavy expectations that are sometimes put on people um, can just sometimes be too much. Sometimes yeah, be too much. Absolutely. For your, um, and your mother, she came to Canada from the Philippines, was the oldest. Of- yes, she was. Yeah. She was the oldest. Well, she has two sisters, but she basically had 10 aunts and uncles when they all came over here. So it was my great grandmother and all of her kids. So she had a lot and all of them had um, children. So she had all of these little cousins because she was only four when she first came here, but she was the oldest one to come from the Philippines. And then all of these little cousins started popping out and she, yeah, she helped take care of all of them. And looking back on her life, did you feel that, um, did you feel like there was anything that she need that, that there was anything that she, that she needed to express or anything that she needed to get out of her system that she wasn't able to do so? Yeah, absolutely. I I think that um, there was plenty of things that went into um, the depression that she felt at the time. I think that it was the pressure to be a good mother, the pressure to be one of the best ones because she was one of the oldest of her generation. So it was the pressure to get that house so she can host Christmas and Christmas Eve and Thanksgiving for all of the younger um, cousins that she had. And she was also just like a role model for them so she felt like she always had to be you know at her um at her best and viewed as her best and she never wanted to be viewed at her worst and I feel like just having to always keep yourself together especially back then um in the early 2000s there wasn't much uh in regards for mental health or even just like diversity in um shows and movies so that was something she also struggled with on top of the expectations from the family um, from coming from the Philippines was that it was that she she loved fashion she loved music she loves she loved pop culture at the time and she was a very creative person but when I think back to it like all of her favorite shows they didn't have anyone that really looked like her and we all thought she was one of the most beautiful people in our family and she never saw it. She never smiled in photos because she hated her teeth. She never, um, she would actually hide from a lot of photos. I don't have that many photos of her because she would run away. She would never want to be in them because she didn't like the way she looked. And I think that even today, like if she saw the way the world was now with the internet and with the way TV shows are now with more diversity, she'd no longer think like, oh, because I don't have a skinny pointed nose, that was a big one for her is that, you know, she would always think she would needed a different nose and she always felt like she was overweight, even though she was never, you know, she just always, always questioned the way she looked and the way she was perceived rather than seeing the way that she was everyone's role model. And unfortunately, because she was such a role model, I think it was hard for her to connect with people on like a personal level because she just felt like she was constantly having to put up a certain picture for her peers. Is that Lisa in the background? Yeah, that's her. (laughs) 
you might hear her come around and start singing. <laughs> that would be so, so welcome. That would be so, so welcome. Um, thank you for sharing that. You know, it's, it's the depression and, and bipolar. These are experiences that, you know, people don't like to talk about, you know, yeah. and to even be able to, you know, he, to, to make the connections between, you know, internalized racism, excuse me. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the pressures of not being able to express oneself's truth feelings, like that's, that feels so isolating and, and can make one feel so alone, you know? Absolutely. And, and it's like, even though she's surrounded by so many people that love her, it's like, there's still a wall there, even though they're right next to her. Mm-hmm. But now you have Lisa, who is, you know, coming through with a force that is like, listen, this is who I am. Yeah. This is how I'm going to show up. This is how I'm going to express. And you, she has a mother to advocate for her in that, yeah. sp- in that space, you know? She's breaking down all the walls, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> That's incredible. And I'm sure in your family as well, right? Yes. Oh, absolutely. I think it's it's true that it's taken, it's still taking some time because she's still young and she's still a little quiet. But honestly, I just see her being older. Again, not in like having expectation sense, but in a sense that there's no buffer for her. And I feel like my um, family would definitely benefit from somebody who can just say what's on their mind rather than, you know, letting it go through the grapevine of the family. You were, yes. And we were, we were connecting on that in terms of like how sometimes in our family systems, the things that um, really need to be expressed aren't being expressed. And it's, exactly. it's just like, oh, how's the weather? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I, yeah. I did this. Uh, I went to the I went to the gas station today. And, uh, you know, meanwhile, there's exactly. all this like juicy stuff to, to get into. So exactly. imagine the juicy that, details. <laughs> yeah, I imagine as she ages, she's just going to take on this this role of even with you with you as her mother, you know, in terms of like having these really you know poignant conversations yes yes because I'm still that way where it's like I still want to be quiet and polite but I just I just have a feeling (laughs) I have a feeling that she's gonna say everything that she's heard me say which will be a problem (laughs) kids listen to everything yeah so now for yourself um what have you identified as tools to support Lisa um, in, in, in being able to integrate at school while still maintaining her individuality? Yeah, so that is right now an ongoing challenge. We actually, um, after getting her diagnosed, we signed up for the Ontario Autism Program, which was about a three-year-long wait list. Um, Yeah, at the time, um, yeah, this process was a little bit confusing because this was right at the time that Ford government switched it from being a nonprofit to a for-profit industry. So back when it was a nonprofit, it was kind of like all of the organizations would work together 
um, here in Durham, there's things like Kennard, Grandview, all these different programs. So one would kind of take your paperwork and sign you up for waitlist, and then all the other ones would have different programs. But again, waitlists are over a year long. Um, so we were on all of those, but then they changed it to for-profit. So you had to wait for your Ontario Autism Program funding, which was the three-year-long waitlist in order to get her into the organizations because they map out to be almost like 20 grand for six months worth of therapy. Um, so that is exactly what we're doing right now when we finally were able to do that. Um, and it's been a great experience now. ABA therapy, they've kind of made the whole program um, perfected to exactly the way Lisa is. So they take in her interests, um, what she struggles with, where other children her age are at. So even any of like the pamphlets and stuff I get about dealing with problematic behavior and stuff is specifically to Lisa. So it's like when Lisa's frustrated, she will tend to throw things and then they will specifically tell me how they deal with Lisa and what works best for her, but also all of the other tools that other parents learn how to use. So that has been like amazing. So we've gone from her having issues in school and like even up until this year where she's had some tantrums and stuff. But like I told you before, like just this following week where she had some time at home with me doing parent training through therapy and basically um, she's had absolutely no tantrums now. So it's like after learning the different tools I need in order to communicate with her properly, it's been a lot, um, a lot easier for her to communicate with me, basically, because that's why she would get frustrated. It's because I didn't understand how she was feeling, whether she was tired, whether it was too hard, whether she wanted a snack, you know what I mean? So now she's learning to communicate that. And I'm also learning to follow the cues. So it was, yeah, it's learning on both parts for sure. And that's, that's what therapy really, really helps with. And now you are becoming, like you're getting some training um, as a parent. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So when um, we go into parent training, before COVID, you were able to actually meet with other parents um, with children on the spectrum that are also in the program. So that's something that I really, really wish we could do right now because meeting other parents it just, it just makes you understand because as much as your children are all different, I feel that most parents all have similar struggles as to learning how to communicate. And I think that the more and more we talk about it, the more and more you realize that it's like, it's everyday problems for all of us. It's not, you know, it's not a specific struggle to you. It's not that you are lacking in some sort of way. It's just a learning process for so many people because there is such a lack of knowledge throughout society about how to deal with it. So that's something that I definitely learned is just like, you're not alone, you know, and there's just so many different ways that you can um, positively uh, deal with the different struggles you have. I remember that when the Ford government came in, there was a lot of um, pushback because he was ready to cut the program completely. Yeah, it's like, when I first heard that, um, again, we weren't in the programs, we were still on the waiting list. So I read up on it and saw like how directly affected 
we would be by this. And it was definitely such a worry for us because again, it was like, we just wanted the proper um, help for Lisa in order to learn how to communicate with her peers and things like that. So she can um, basically just learn how to be about in the society, whether or not she's her own strong personality and we know how to deal with that and communicate with her that's great but we really wanted the world to see the type of child she is as well and the type of individual she is as well so when that whole thing was going on it was it was such a tragedy to just not only to cut that but to put the pressure on teachers who not only have overcrowded classrooms and are having to test children off of the same standards already things like that it's just children on the spectrum, they really need their individuality to be recognized and they need to learn in their own way. And I feel that every child can benefit from that, if anything. So to cut programs that teach children based off of their individuality rather than the standard is something that I find is so important and so helpful and I feel that it's unfortunate that most kids do have to follow a standard rather than finding their strengths and using that to go about their everyday lives thank goodness that that program was still put in place yeah you know and that your family can have access to that funding so that you know Lisa can get that specifically tailored education yes that she, that she needs and I love how you you're you're re-emphasizing so that the world society can take her individually, her individuality can understand her individuality. Exactly. And she, she doesn't care. <laughs> she doesn't care if people don't really like her, if they miscommunicate with her. She's like, okay, fine. You don't get me. That's fine. Right. But, you know, we want to show the world. We want the world to see her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In this journey of seven years, um, and then of course, sitting with the, the, the lived experiences of your late mother. Um, what is something that you want to see our society understand about neurodiversity? I think that they need to take into account diversity being um, appearances, culture, but also most definitely in the mental state because just dealing with things as depression or anxiety, you see how common they are. Um, But then when you look at children on the spectrum, it's maybe it's a little more obvious, um, there are differences, but at the same time, like everybody is their own individual. So looking at what I've learned through my journey with Lisa and my mother, I think that just like, the fact that society is constantly going by standards and constantly comparing each other to themselves. Like everyone, everyone wants the same type of happy Instagram or social media account, and they all want the same goals and to look like they're succeeding in life. But like the only thing that matters is your own happiness, your own individual happiness. And that is... Okay. So yes, in that, I lost my train of thought. So awesome. Um, That people need to know their own happiness. Yes. And in order, 
it's the same way out. Everyone needs to, nowadays we're expressing the fact that everyone needs to know themselves in order to find what makes them happy. And I feel like that in part is finding your own individuality. How are you different from other people in society rather than how are you the same? What can you teach people based off of your different life experiences rather than chasing the same goals? And so having a child on the spectrum basically forces you to go out and find your own individual goals because the regular standard won't work for you. And if you try to mold that, you can't, you can't be truly happy. So that's a gift that I've definitely learned is, again, how to find happiness. You can hear in the background, Lisa laughing. <laughs> I was going to say, as Lisa comes in from outside, so happy with her, her baba, her daddy, you know. Yeah. And yeah. thank you so much for making that point, you know, that point that it's by discovering our own true personal happiness that we yes. can find peace and harmony within our lives and with exactly yeah exactly holly thank you so much for taking some time to talk with us today.